I'm Shane Twist and welcome to Behind the Beat, a podcast that gives you a look behind the scenes and into the everyday activities of the people behind the beef. A few months ago, we released our Week at Beef Australia episode, detailing the week that was at the excellent Beef Australia 2021. During the episode, we gave a recap of the Angus Australia seminar hosted at Beef Australia, the Angus influence from performance to profit. As promised in that episode, today's episode brings you the seminar itself, which is emceed by President and Board Chair Sam White and features a question and answer session hosted by Angus Australia Northern Development Officer Jen Peart with producers Sam Crowther, Ben McGlynn and Robert McKenzie. This session in the seminar focuses on producer profitability, the opportunities for Angus youth in the North and South and features the experiences of producers implementing Angus genetics in their operations. Ladies and gentlemen, essentially, this will be a, uh, a session that will be run by Jen Peart. Uh, Jen Peart is the Angus Australia's Northern Development Officer, and uh, she manages Northern Development Program, a research and extension role, supporting producers in North Australia who are using and looking to use Angus, Angus genetics in their operations. Uh, this program is currently a number of collaborative projects that focus on better describing Angus genetics for Northern Australia, including fertility and heat resilience. She is based in central Queensland on her family's um, beef cattle property. So uh, Jen is now on stage. I'll now like to introduce our other speakers who are going to be contributing to this panel section. First will be Sam Crowther. Um, Sam is the principal of Harrow Grazing, uh, a family beef cattle operation based in central Queensland. The Crowthers run a, a breeding enterprise joining Angus and Santa Gertrudis cross cattle and a lot-fed finishing enterprise supplying both short-fed and domestic trade markets. Sam is passionate about uh, producing good quality quality cattle uh, that have weight for age and great eating quality. Um, Welcome to the stage, Sam. I'd like to now acknowledge also Ben McLean. Um, Ben comes to us. He's the General Manager of Northern Region of Paraguay Pastoral Company, um, originating from the Riverina. Ben has spent his career working on and managing beef cattle properties in Northern Australia. Most recently as the Manager of Rocklands, Camawheel, under his leadership, Paraguay has been integrating the use of Angus bulls into their northern breeding operations, aiming to produce Santa Angus F1 progeny. Uh, Ben is a passionate advocate for research and development and extension, and the adoption uh, has served as the President of Northern Australian uh, Beef Research and Council Council Management Committee. So, welcome, Ben. Ladies and gentlemen, next I'd like to introduce to you Robert McKenzie. Uh, Rob is a fourth generation of a family-owned Maccas Pastoral, a commercial Angus beef operation based in New South Wales' Hunter Valley, and recently the family has taken their beef to the world, um, exporting Maccas Australian Black Angus beef, a verified Black Angus beef brand. Their key markets are in China and the Middle East and supplying a true paddock-to-pake story. We welcome Macca to the stage. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm now going to hand over to Jen Peart, Jen, uh, look forward to this session going forward. Thank you. Thank you so much to the three of you for opening up your operations and giving us your time to um, talk about your experience uh, using Angus genetics in uh, some pretty varied environments. So, Ben, I'm going to start with you. So I want to draw on your experience from Rocklands, uh, which is a station north of Camelwheel owned by Paraguay Pastoral. 
and the wider Paraway portfolio. I'd like to hear a little bit more about your current role to start with. So uh, Ben has been managing stations in Northern Australia since he was 26 and he's now just been promoted to the general manager of uh, Paraway North. So Ben, can you tell us a bit about the Northern portfolio of Paraway, um, if you wouldn't mind? Yep, no worries, Jen. Um, so Paraway operates a sort of integrated supply system uh, in Queensland. We have three sort of core breeding businesses in, in the north. Um, we stretch across four, four million hectares. Yeah, we run about 60,000 breeders. Um, those animals are transferred down into our growing operations through the Diamantina, the Cooper. Um, we have some country of Blackall and then further down into Condamine. Um, you know, overall, we've you know, got some pretty strong assets and um, some different breeding systems within that structure that'll um, you know, sort of suit most markets, um, but a strong supply into our feeders, light feeders, heavy feeders, and kill cattle. Brilliant. And what about Rocklands specifically? How big is Rocklands and how many breeders are running on it? Yeah, so Rocklands is a 1.8 million acre breeding business. It's, um, it runs 32,000 joint females per annum. Um, you know, it's a, it's a crossbred base herd. Um, we've got sort of two different sort of breeding systems within that. We've got a, the original herd that we purchased in 2016 that we're joining Sanibles um, over those and then that progeny is going to the Angus and then the Angus progeny is going back to the Santa. So, um, that's a bit about how we operate that business. Brilliant. Um, so considering that Paraway North encompasses a number of breeding enterprises and, as you said, 60,000 um, breeding females, um, what are the breeding objectives of Paraway North um, and what, are they, what do you, does Paraway consider important um, given how vertically integrated the company is? Um, are there certain profit drivers that you guys tend to target um, for your breeding objectives? Yeah, definitely. I think um, the way we operate within the Paraway system is each business is set up as its own enterprise and it has, they operate off their own P&L. Um, we do internal transfers, which are actual, actual sales. Um, basically, like each business will have a different sort of core KPI, but, but overarching, it's kilos produced per AE, um, with our breeding businesses focusing on kilos produced per retained breeder. Um, you know, we do sort of delve into, you know, weaning, branding percentages a little bit, but as, um, as uh, Footy said last night, like, we're, we're only sitting at 71%, so... Um, and you've certainly been achieving um, well above northern average for your branding rates, particularly on Rocklands, is that correct? Yeah, we have. Like, um, it's definitely a kilos-driven um, kilos decision... That's um, definitely based on season as well. Like Rocklands has just had three well below average seasons in a row, like up to current date. But you know, management's a core core factor in influencing the change, driving the kilos. You know, I think last year Rocklands probably produced I think 45% weaning percentage. But that was uh, we actually made that decision happen from some rainfall events and some exposure and that post-flooding in the north in from previous years. So while well, we still retain our breeding herd and we still produce a lot of kilos throughout the business, um, that actual turn-off program through our progeny wasn't as high. 
So tell me a bit more about your breeding program. Um, are you breeding your own replacement heifers? Um, and what sort of selection pressure are you putting on the breeding herd at, at Rocklands? Yeah, okay, so um, the herd's fully segregated, so we preg test all our females uh, annually. They go into two- and three-month calving groups. You know, our optimum calving group is in that October, November, December drop, and then we split a Jan, Feb, and March, April drop as well. Um, the, the reason we sort of do calve in October is just um, a bit of that's just logistics around annual rainfall, you know, flooding, just living in the north in general. Um, so if we can get the bulls out as late as we can in December, um, it's better than not getting the bulls out at all. Um, uh, th those cattle then, uh, they're set up, they calve down. 70% of the calves are branded back on the mum throughout, throughout first round. And then the, the, the cows are weaned and preg-tested, you know, in those alternate groups as we, as we grow, the, grow the kilos, like on the progeny. The key driver in that is the body condition score of the cow. So how old are your heifers when you first join them and do you have a target weight for them to reach before before joining? We do. We um we don't go off age, so to speak. Like it's it's more about, you know, at, the, at what rate of puberty they're functioning and their ADG performance will determine their joining time. So generally we would be joining sort of anything, you know, sort of 15 months to two years out of those groups and we just sort of cut those off based on around that 280 kilos going into that December joining period, and that'll determine that group. Brilliant. Um, and so you're, you're talking about pulling bulls out, so how long effectively is your joining period, or how do you try and manage your bulls during while you're joining? Because um, my understanding is some of it's year-round and some of it you're pulling bulls out and putting them back in at points in time. Yeah, that's right, Jen. We um, incorporating Angus genetics into you know into an environment on the rangelands of the Barclay. Um, we've had some focus points to be able to manage that. So we're actually um, we're joining in December. We'll, I'll go back. We're purchasing our bulls, you know, by the end of May. They're on farm going into June, so they've got that cooler climate to let down, get the rumours developed to the native rangelands that they're on. And then they, as it warms up, they, they can, um, yeah, they'll, they'll be fed a supplement on the back end of the year to go, go into joining. That, that acclimatisation period is, like, imperative of that six months, like, in that particular environment. We then, uh, post-joining, the bulls will stay out with the cows more or less until preg test, and then they're, they're pulled out at preg test uh, in those alternate groups that I explained uh, and then they're put onto a supplement program, and it, it, it's not an expensive supplement program. Like we run a uh, thousand seventy bulls on Rocklands at the moment. We have uh, similar numbers in the other businesses, but um, to, to fit, target feed those certain progeny, especially when those two-year-olds are trying to grow, it, it's a minimal cost to our business. Yeah. What sort of longevity are you getting out of your bulls? Like how long, how many seasons do you tend to see out of them? We're getting sort of four seasons out of them. Yeah, we're actually, and that's not necessarily about breakdown. Um, one of our core focuses on breed plan is mature cow weight. Like the Barclay probably isn't going to handle a eight nine hundred kilo mature cow weight, obviously. So it's something that we focus on in that genetic selection to bring that down. So the bulls are actually very sort of accommodating through that process and you know our cold bull turn off is averaging about that sort of 680 kg so 
you know, they're not big bulls. And on the other scale, our bullock turnoff is is going very well. Yeah. So four years, you know, as, as an average, and then we're sort of replacing those um, as our unproductive cows are getting culled out of the herd as well. Very good. Um, so going back to the breed you're running, so you're running a Angus Santa Cross, and you'd previously mentioned to me that the aim was to produce an F1 progeny. Uh, can you expand on how you came to use this cross and why it, why it works for the Paraway North operations? Yeah, okay. So the, we wanted to accommodate different traits, so we had conversations with our customers. So... You know, obviously, you know, IMF is important, but you still need to lay some fat, but they can't be too fat. And so when we went around the table and, you know, at a regional level with all the guys, you know, we could really hit our core KPIs in terms of growth, the function of each animal, and, and what we're going to deliver to our customers through that change. To get that sort of 60% Vos Taurus influence, that, that basically fed us into that Angus Santa Cross. So that, so that F1 progeny... Is um, you know, it's working really well for us. It's sort of highly profitable. And then in terms of sustainability for those those progeny being joined back into the breeding herd, we're seeing some great results um, in the heifer productivity. That's fantastic. So you've sort of already touched on this, but sourcing bulls for your northern breeding operations, you typically source them from Queensland, New South Wales, and even Victoria. So aside from aside from that six-month acclimatisation, is there anything else that you uh, specifically do to sort of manage them while while acclimatising them and also um, using them up north? Yeah, so we, we have a big focus on our um, breed plan figures. So we've got some key metrics so where we sort of to where we sit and select our bulls from. Um, and, you know, it's, we go to the people, so I suppose it's sort of like we've gone to people to purchase those bulls that are not necessarily that we're similar-minded, but we actually identify bulls that are going to suit that particular land type and business. Um, you know, and, and every business that we have across Paraguay buys bulls from different people for different reasons. And, and a lot of that comes back to, to land type and nutritional value. So Paraway is using Angus bulls and Angus cross cattle in some what can be regarded as some pretty challenging environments. Are there any limitations or challenges you found, um, particularly in your experience managing Rocklands? I think we, the, the first year um, was a bit of a you know experience, learning experience, um, and you know we've honed in and identified. Uh, just to tighten that selection pressure up on those bulls, just in terms of sort of coat scoring them, um, you know, because that's very reflective through the progeny. I'm not a geneticist, but I'm sure it's highly heritable. And then definitely structural soundness. Like, each bull is physically tested. Like, we walk them around and we turn them back and it's like they're in a, you know, cutting event at a camp draft. So they're scrutinised to, to be able to sort of to operate in that, in that environment. And then also just around those traits, so like calving ease and mature cow weight, high fertility and, you know, that good growth, like average growth, um, is definitely what we're focused on. Yeah, excellent. It's um, one of the research projects Angus Australia has just completed is um, developing a research breeding value for coat type and with the idea that um, to identify slicker coats in Angus animals uh, for a number of reasons, being heat tolerance and um, tick resistance. So we should see that coming down the line soon. So given your passion for research and development, um, do you see any opportunities for development in the Angus breed to continue to become a viable option for the north? 
Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, you know, William was saying before about, you know, our northern beef report, like I think fertility is a, is a core driver, um, you know, and there's, there's also some growth traits. Um, you know, in my experience, I was quite sceptical at the start to see the performance of these, the Angus progeny uh, in the north and, and how well or how much TLC the bulls would need. But it's actually been a very positive result for our business under pretty trying circumstances. Like, we've definitely put them to the test. It's great to hear that you know Angus is looking to do the, the coat scoring because that that'll um, that'll probably draft a few out from breed plan before before we go and physically look at them. But um, but I think in general that I think you know if people Ian mentioned before you know about the grey heads, but there's probably some bald heads and some white heads and some black heads. So you know if we all um, you know look at each what at what each other's doing and you know we can gain a lot of knowledge. There's definitely a lot of experience in Northern Australia. To, to accommodate different breeds and genetics. Thank you, Ben. I might just leave that conversation there, and um, this is the perfect opportunity to bring you, Sam, into the conversation, because you are also running an Angus Santa Cross. You're based in Acadia Valley in central Queensland. Can you tell me a little bit about your operation, please? Yeah, we have, we've got two properties, Acadia Valley, Arrow and Leora, about 7,000 hectares. We run 1,500 breeders. We hit scrub country and it's improved to buffalo grass and we background and we got an on-property feedlot, 650 head feedlot. And so we turn off cattle pretty young through our feedlot. All our progeny goes through our feedlot. I'm also supported by my wife, Heather, and my son, Andrew, and family. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to do this. But... Um, yeah, so our goal is just to turn our cattle off quickly, wait for age, consistent through our feedlot Brilliant. at a very young age. Yes, and you certainly achieve that, which we'll touch on here in a second. And you also have the opportunity to do a bit of forage cropping um, that yes. you background on, on, yes, we on do. Power we, and Leora. Yes, that's yeah. right. And when it's available, we, we like our weaners. We like to keep our weaners going. We... And there were some pretty sappy weaners when we go to wean about this time of the year. They're up around... Uh, the leads of our weaners are 330 to 380 kg. And our, my goal is to keep those cattle going ahead. And if we've got a bit of crop, a bit of oats crop, if we can put them on oats crop for a couple of months, and then we induct them into the feedlot. So they're going in the feedlot sort of 460, 480 kg inducted in the feedlot. And we... Spend 100 days in the feedlot, the leads of our steers, and we can uh, turn them off in December before the process is shut down. And they're only sort of 16 months of age, and we're sort of getting weights up around 350 kg averages by doing that, because these cattle are good cattle. They're really good crossbred cattle. These Angus and Santa really work together very well. And we also do a job with Woolworths, with a lot of our other cattle we turn off, and uh, they only 270 kg average and only need 70 days grain. So they're very uh, economically feasible for us. We do quite well out of them. And probably two-thirds of our progeny go to Woolworths. We've had a long-standing relationship with Woolworths over a fair few years. I've been feedlotting since 92. They've been good to me and I've probably been pretty good to them. That's brilliant. So how much, how, what percentage of your turn-off cattle would go through your feedlot? Oh, most of them, like 90% of our yeah. cattle we put yeah. through the feedlot. 
Um, so what was the motivation to include a grain finishing enterprise on, on Harrow? We started feedlotting for Woolworths, so we need to finish them on grain. Look, the biggest thing with feeding cattle uh, grain is they're getting 12 or 13% protein and energy down this neck here. And that's, if you give them that, they will perform. If they don't have that, you can't meet those goals. So my idea is to have those cattle going. From when mum giving you a lovely wiener, sappy wiener, just keep that plane going straight up like that. Keep him going and don't let him have a setback. And at the end of the day, you've got eating quality. Yes, and in our conversations previously, you've always um, come back to the consistency of the product and the fact that that serves the contracts that you feel well. Yeah. yeah. So how old are your cattle when you turn them off? Well, they're ranging from uh, about 14 months through to 18 months of age, so they're all gone. Like that year's progeny cattle are all circulated through the feedlot. They're given our breeders room. We've got more pasture available for backgrounding. Um, so, yeah, we just keep pushing them through. And, 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 and the, look, the, we have too many dry years. This is a, one of the most big reasons why we do it this way, because it, you're getting a cash flow. You're value-adding. There's a lot of benefits. And you've got a season in the silo, as you like to yes, say. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It's a season in the silo, we always used to say. No, it's good. It really is. And we are. There's a lot of dry years. We're just facing... Australia faces generally dry years. And we and we don't... Not looking after our weaners and cattle well enough, I don't believe, because our, our grass, our pasture grass is going down in protein, you know. It goes down when it gets really dry. It's 4%. If it gets really droughty, it's back to probably less than 1%, so how are your cattle going to move? You know, they're only putting on, if it's really bad, they're only putting on half a kg a weight a day. But if it's not too bad, it, you know, it lifts a bit more. Those cattle are suffering, and all they're doing is getting older and making teeth. Yeah. So tell me, why does the Angus Santa Cross work in your operation? Because they they suit each other. They're, they're just a good cross, uh, the Santa cow, it's, um, she's a beautiful cow and the fact that she makes milk and plenty of milk, more milk than probably the Angus <coughs> cattle and uh, you've got good carcass qualities with the Santa and durability. In our neck of the woods you've got a, durability is very important so we've, that's why we've got the Sanders and then we put the Angus out of them well then we end up creating a, a, a better article. Um, he squares him up, he thickened up, he, there's a lot of advantages and plus the fact that you get fertility and carving ease and poles and, and just there. There's a lot of things to go through. But the greatest thing is that when you induct cattle into the feedlot you don't have to use that drafting gate too much. Eh? When you've got that Angus content in them they're just so uniform, the cattle and consistent, so they're easy. They become easy for us. Yeah. You certainly rate hybrid vigour as one of the... One Definitely, of the, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, you're right, hybrid vigour. You certainly get a hybrid vigour with uh, crossing Angus and Sandra or probably crossing any sort of cattle you're going to get. Mm. The Angus cross with any cattle you're going to get hybrid vigour. But, yes, it certainly is like on a... When we um, send them to the abattoir, I reckon they're at least 30 kg heavier than just a straight breed. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, that, that's excellent. That's been your experience. What is the Angus delivering that you hadn't been getting from what you've tried before? Quick maturity. They, they, because they're quick maturity cattle and the weight gain. Uh, uniformity. Mm. Uniformity is so important. When, you, when you're inducting cattle into a feedlot, if you've got them uniform, it just makes the job. And, and it also makes the job of the grader down the other end when they carcass grader. Mm. He just gets his stamp and he just goes bang like that. Pass, 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 pass. A good cattle. <laughs> wonder seeing that happen in real life. Um, that would be excellent, yeah. So you've previously owned properties above the tick line. Yes. Did that have an impact on your Angus cattle's yeah, performance? Yeah, they are. Well, the Angus are a bit vulnerable to ticks uh, because, you know, they carry a bit of hair and what have you. They are a British breed, so they really weren't designed for the... Ticks, but you know, ticks are only parasite control, isn't it? It's only up to us to control the ticks, so there's no reason why they can't be in the ticky country. But, but yeah, there's big benefits if you can keep the ticks off them. Yeah, excellent. So, aside from the ticks, are there any particular challenges you find with running Angus cattle? In our previous conversations, you'd mentioned that heat is something you have to consider, heat. and another reason why you incorporated the Santa. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the heat, uh, you really do want that. A little bit of biosynthesis, you don't want much. A little bit of biosynthesis content in them because, uh, you know, when we brand and wean, the cattle have got to travel, little calves have got to travel. You don't have that little bit of bicyndicus content in there. It just makes the job so much harder. So, if, if, yeah, it's really good to have uh, a bit of bicyndicus in there. Otherwise, it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's harder. It just yeah. makes everything easier. Yeah. But, you know, you get, you're getting the hybrid vigour out of it too, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. So considering that you take your progeny um, that you breed through to slaughter, your decisions about your animal's performance sort of start back when you're selecting your bull. Um, so what do you what do you consider when you select bulls? Uh, the, the biggest priorities to me is confirmation and constitution. Mm. You've got confirmation right, they, they're going to walk right, you're breeding them right, everything's going to be right. Constitution, there's nothing better than having constitution cattle. Mm. Uh, if you can... Keep a beast in good order on minimal amount of tucker. It's yeah. really valuable, and it falls. It you know goes right through the whole chain, really. Yeah. And when it comes to EBVs. Yes, EBVs. Well, we look at if I was going to go and buy a bull, it's confirmation, constitution first, and then we look at the, then we pull up, put the glasses on, and check out all the EBVs and <laughs> and the paper trail. You know, straddles the cummins, a weight range, or whatever the whole lot. Um, you've previously said to me that good growth and eye muscle area is really important to you. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Eye muscles, well, a good beast has always got really good eye muscle, you know, as I've been saying. You know, you've got, eye muscle is really important. And birth weight and carving ease or yes, something. Yeah. Yes, birth weight for, you know, join. we join all our maiden heifers to low birth weight angus bulls because your carving ease, you just... You just a uh, lot less problems, and um, and look, even if they're crossbred Angus Santa heifers, put the Angus bull over them, and uh, you'll have lots of calves, early calves, and they, uh, the Angus bulls, they, they get them. Good. So, what are the key elements you feel that uh, that Angus has contributed to your operation and its profitability? Production, yep. meat, dollars in the bank when it's yeah. the years over, eh? Just yeah. you know. 
They're just good. The amount of, if you're just turning meat, if it's dry and you've got a drought out there, you're having production, you're keeping things moving. You know, every time you wake up in the morning, you, you know, you've got a feedlot there full of cattle that are putting on, you know, two, two and a half kg a day. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so my last question for you, Sam, is in regards to using Angus in your operation, what would you like to see from Angus in the future to maintain its relevance? Well, there's the only one, one thing that... Look, Angus are very good cattle and they, uh, eating quality is probably right up there amongst any cattle because they, got, they marble well. But wouldn't it be nice if you could do a tender test or, you know, knew that that bull there was going to throw guaranteed tender meat? And I don't know how you do it. I, you know, it's, I'm not in that business, but I reckon it'd be... Eh, it'd really... The Angus had just got to explode if that happened. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Sam. No I'll, I'll leave that there, but thank you very much for your contribution. So, Robert, this is a nice little segue into your operation because eating quality and tenderness is sort of at the backbone of uh, your branded beef, Macca's Australian Black Angus Beef. And so you started that in 2015. So what, what drove you to develop your own brand? Oh, look, um, well, firstly, thanks for having me and welcome, everyone. What drove me to develop the brand? Well, I suppose it... Um, firstly, my son broke his neck, but he's OK. Um, and I felt that uh, when we are in hospital there... Um, I get a bit emotional there, sorry. Um... I felt that if he was in a wheelchair, he could still do something and trade beef is something you can definitely, you can definitely do. So that was something that was very uh, raw to me and, and was a bit tough to manage at that time. So I wish he didn't ask me that question, but that's all right. Um, but so look, he, uh, he's, he's on, the, on the farm now and he's in charge of our infrastructure work. He does a great job. He did a double degree at uni. Uh, UNE, Agriculture and Business, so he's a great asset to our operation, but he's really committed in infrastructure, and infrastructure is an important part of our operation. Um, so I think that that was one thing that, um, look, what do we do if the worst case scenario? But the other thing probably was uh, we felt disconnected once we sold our cattle. We felt, you know, who was benefiting from that? Where are they going? who's getting the accolades for that hard work that we, we put in. It's a family operation. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a six-day, sometimes seven-day, day-a-week job, and, and you put a lot of work and a lot of pride and, uh, and a lot of commitment into breeding cattle. And we felt disconnected to where our, our product was going to, and we wanted to learn more. So that was a, another driving factor that we wanted to, I suppose, connect with the end consumer. Beautiful. Sorry, I <laughs> didn't mean to upset you. So how many countries can Macca's Australian Black Angus Beef be found in today? Oh, look, I'd probably have to check with Mark. That's his job. But um, uh, I think we're in 11 countries. We put all our effort into the China market. Um, we were working well with Alibaba. We booked for the Chinese Premier, Metcash, eCargo... Um, 15 trips in five years to China. Put a lot of effort into China, but it's just been tough, as we know. Uh, so we chose to spread our wings, which is probably something we should have done in 2015 or 2016 when we got going. But um, we're having great success in the Middle East and um, Singapore and a lot of other Asian countries. So the Middle East has been great for us. They, 
they want what we're delivering and it's, it's been good. So I think about 11 countries. I'm very pleased to hear it. Um, I imagine there's a fair bit of legwork that goes to um, getting getting uh, box beef into some of those countries, so my hat's off to you. Um, so Macca's is a um, part of the Angus Australia brand verification program. Yeah. Um, so what sort of support or benefit has that given you in market in terms of from a consumer perception? Yeah, look, that's, that's a good question. Why did we choose to go down that program? I think that we needed a marketing edge. We also needed a, you know, a point of difference, uh, and it was what the consumer wanted. Uh, the consumer wanted to know that it was verified black Angus beef. They wanted to know uh, more about that, and um, definitely on that world stage, those consumers want the best product, and food fraud is a, 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 is a, is a massive issue. And I'm not saying that this solves a food fraud problem, but it actually gives that little bit more confidence to our resellers. Beautiful. Um, So let's talk about the production system that you've got supporting um, your branded beef um, operation. Can you give us a brief overview of uh, your operation, please? Yeah, look, um, started back in 1884 on, you know, some of the, the prime coastal country in New South Wales. You know, a lot, a lot of change. There's a lot has changed since those days, but I think a lot stays the same. You know, our dedication to our animal, animals, the country, and our consumers is we still have that same philosophy and that same drive from our forefathers. But look, we um, we have eight properties there now in that Hunter um, Gloucester region, and uh, fourteen thousand acres over eight properties. So eight properties, and and we heard scale before from Ian. You, know, you can go up north and you could have everything in one in one place, but unfortunately that's not where we were that's not where we ended up after the first fleet arrived, so we've put put it put to that area. So um, we've got eight properties still all within you know an hour of each other, but that makes it logistically hard and we run three and a half thousand Angus cows. So from weaning, what does the finishing... How do you finish the cattle that are going into your branded beef program? Yeah, look, um, we'll select... uh, Our weaners will select them into usually two categories. Um, The top-end weaners uh, this year, they were roughly around about the 350 kilos at eight months of age. Uh, We sold them predominantly through Auctions Plus but also uh, at the local sale yards. And uh, the remaining steers, we will, um, well, they were the steers that we sold, the remaining steers we'll put on our own backgrounding operation. Um, we usually try to know who, well, usually the same people try to buy our steers, so we have the opportunity to buy them back after they've been backgrounded or when they go to the feedlot, we have a great relationship with those people that will usually buy them and the feedlot, so we have the opportunity to buy our cattle back. Uh, that helps our cash flow. Uh, the remaining steers, um, we will background themselves and then shove them into a 150-day grain-fed program with a with a pretty good feedlot that we've developed a great relationship with. Yeah. And then they're contract killed, and it goes from there. Yeah, then we contract kill them, and then we put them in obviously our our lids yeah. and distribute them around the world. And 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 look, in no way think that that export beef side is 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 easy. It's it's a tough gig. I heard Ian say before, I think the, the people that, yeah, maybe if, my, if I could say one recommendation, maybe just stick to what you do best. 
Yeah. But anyway, it's, it's been good and it's uh, opened up a lot of doors. I also probably did it for, you know, when you have kids, you've got to think about that concession planning so they can own different parts of the operation. And, you know, kids of today, you know, they want excitement, they want, you know, be able to do different things. And, and this has set our business up that our kids can be involved in different parts of the operation and feel that they own something and can take take a leadership role and, and do something. So, yeah, Brilliant. So only a portion of your cattle go into the box beef program and we've sort of touched on the fact that you tend to sell wieners, um, but you, as Sam mentioned when you first took the stage, uh, you just sold the very first Angus Verified steers through the Gloucester sale yards uh, and they were sale toppers, which was excellent to see. Can you tell us a little bit about the Angus Verified program? I think we don't have enough time to talk about the Angus Verified program. Well, firstly, I think it was a great initiative uh, and I'd like to pay tribute to uh, Liz she, over, over there. Um, so we've worked closely together to develop the Angus Verified program with obviously also Ag Live and, and everyone in Angus Australia. So the Angus Verified program, I think, gives... Well, I don't think. It, it gives... It gives clarity to the breed, strengthens the breed, and it, it gave us a premium on that on that day. Uh, people fought for those steers, um, and, you know, elders, elders purchased those steers because they saw value uh, knowing the sires. They saw value knowing that they're purebred, uh, and, and, and they're able to... Because to feed, and you would know exactly, to feed animals in a, in a feedlot is costly. You know, in Australia, we're, we're pricing ourselves out of the market, so we have to do everything we possibly can to be sustainable and provide a high-quality product, but also a competitive product on that world stage, and also within Australia. So the feedlot, uh, the end consumer can track um, how well those cattle are doing because they know the, 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 the side of the details. Brilliant. And if anyone has any questions regarding Angus Verified, please visit Liz Pearson. So, Maka, you've previously told me that you're, you believe that your success is your female herd. What breeding objectives do you give priority in your operation? Yeah, well, I said that when my wife was listening, so I only joked. <laughs> oh, look, um, I, I, I heard um, I heard Ian say that too before, and, and, and I agree with, with the bulls, but there's, there's no doubt... We struggled in the drought. I've never experienced a drought like we, we, we copped in New South Wales and then we just copped flood. Uh, but we struggled in the drought and we chose to uh, spend $750,000 just on feed, feeding our cattle because we'd put so much, so much years of work into, those, into that female herd. And that female herd, I believe, is the strength of our operation, our our MSA grading with, uh, with with the MLA program is just second to none, and if we were to lose those female cows, I think that our our quality of our product uh, would definitely decrease. Um, so back to your question, the, the females are the backbone of our operation. Not in just in case my wife's listening, not only with the cattle, but but everything everything we do. Previously, you'd mentioned to me that it was um, fertility, milk production and carcass that were the three main driving factors for you. Yeah, look, um, our last year bull selection and and I was uh, actually watched the bull selection night that Angus Australia did and I thought it was, I thought it was great. I learned a bit. But we're, 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 not, we're far from being 
an expert at selecting bulls or an expert at breeding cattle or an expert at anything. We just, we just give it a go. But um, we believe that we've had a continuous growth um, where um, we, have, we do try and expand and buy extra property and we need, we need to strengthen our female herd. Our objective is this year to hopefully have 5,000 breeding cows. So we wanted to strengthen our female herds. So our bull selection last year was predominantly focused around uh, maternal instincts, uh, milk production and, and growth. Yeah. Uh, and that will be our focus on the next couple of years because we, we don't put any of our females in our box beef program. We usually retain about 30% of our females this year, retaining more because of our potential growth, we hope. Uh, but our females, uh, a lot of people purchase our females and, um, yeah, we, we, um, we like... It. Look, if I'm going to sell a female, uh, I want to know that the people that are buying it are buying as good, yeah, not the best, but as good a female that they can buy. Yeah. Brilliant to hear. Um, so the country that you're running, your operation is high rainfall, coastal country. Um, does this pose any challenges to your operation? At all, aside from the however many uh, weeks of flood fencing you've just completed? Yeah, I, was, I knew you were going to say that. Well, as you know, that um, south of the border just copped, a, copped a, a lot of rain. I think we got 1,400 mils in a, in a few days. So we copped about $200,000 worth of damage over over eight properties, and that's pretty, uh, it's pretty heartbreaking because it just... We've had a wet year. We've had a really wet year. Um, we started some infrastructure work and roads and... We just haven't been able to get on it, and we, I know we had $180,000 worth of seed ready to, to be planted, and um, we plant seed because we're in hilly country. We plant a lot of seed with choppers, uh, stuff like that. We go in and spray and poison and uh, burn and then drop the seed into that. So we're going to do a sky bow downs. We're going to do a hell of a lot of uh, seeding on that place. But the flood smashed us big time. Um, but normally, look... Um, no matter where you are, you have challenges. Um, we've got the challenges. We get too much rain sometimes. So our normal rainfall uh, on a couple of different properties, uh, just under a metre. Um, look, it doesn't, it, it doesn't cause a massive amount of grief. Um, we obviously cop some... You know, ticks are bad on the coast there. Uh, Tyleria is bad. We struggle if we bring cattle. A lot of people might have heard about bringing cattle from inland across to, um, across to the coast. Um, we, we do do that, if, um, especially when we're building up our stud herd. We, um, we'll buy some bee cows, cows outside of the area and we'll slowly introduce them into the, onto the coast. It might take them six or eight months, but uh, yeah, coastal country, uh, as good as it is, it can be a little bit tough too, but I'm not complaining. Too much. I was going to say, complaining about a metre of rainfall and CQ uh, could uh, end, you, end up with a bit of lynching here at the end. But anyway, um, so Maka, my last question for you is, how is it that you came to be using the Angus breed and what has it contributed to your business and particularly to your brand? I think your marketing. I think your marketing is 10 out of 10. Um, people like to surround themselves with success. And look, we've been breeding Angus cattle for a long time, but I think to really promote us as selling Angus cattle and, and us as promoting Black Angus, all, all of that, it, it's to do with your marketing and the support that you give us. And I'm not just saying that because 
You know, you didn't tell me to say that, but I'm just, you know, I think the marketing and, you know, the support that you can actually get, you know, you ring up Angus Australia and you want support, it's there. It's, um, you know, and Angus Australia have proved that they're there for everyone with the Angus Verified Program. The Angus Verified Program gives that commercial producer um, the ability to be a part of an amazing organisation. So... Um, we're just proud to be a part of Angus, and uh, we hope we do you proud too. Oh, well, thank you, Robert. They're very kind words. Um, I think that brings us to the end of uh, the more formal setting of this uh, segment, but we'd love to take questions from the audience. So if anyone has questions for either Sam, Ben or Macca, uh, please throw up your hand and um, one of the mics will find you, or even for me if you've got questions about the Northern Development Program. Um, yeah, feel free. Well, Jen, look while we're waiting, while we're waiting for people to perhaps make a make a um, thought or, or, or ask these guys of, expect, of uh, a few questions, I, I'd like to acknowledge your grey hair. You haven't got enough yet, mate, but trust me, it'll come. Um, but what I would like to say is you've been so open in sharing your experiences, each and every one of you, um, <clears throat> and uh, it's genuine, it's real, and we absolutely value it. Thank you very, very much. You've got to say. You know, I was listening to a podcast on a long trip up here, uh, and I want to add a few words to what I feel we have in this group of uh, great people on the stage is experience, diversity, enthusiasm, passion, um, and very sound, solid business decisions. And at the end of the day, um, that's what's important to all of us. Um, I see integration, and I also see resilience in each and every one of you. So, <clears throat> uh, to you guys... Thanks for your time. We value it. We That's absolutely value your time. Can you join us? Uh, this, this question's for Sam. Uh, Sam, is there any difference between putting a sander bull over an Angus cow or an Angus bull over a sander cow as far as their progeny is concerned? And do you crisscross or do you just put a pure red over a pure red? Um, um, yeah, we just uh, we crisscross. We... Ultimately, I would like to have about no less than quarter Angus in my herd and three quarter, up to three quarter Angus. Um, so, yeah, as for, you know, going backwards and forwards, which way is better, look at that. No, I don't see any difference there. Yeah, for what we do, you know, just need that touch, a bit of botanicus in there to just um, do a good job. But look, five, eight... Uh, Angus, you got a beautiful carcass, eh? Hey? And just uniform, <coughs> just beautiful. For, for me, for what we breed. Um, this is for Ben. I'm from the south, so pardon my um, ignorance to the size of the operation that you're running. How do you go about sourcing your size? Do you get sire lines, you know? And, and then how do you assess what those sires are doing for your herd? Yeah. Okay. So. Touched on it a bit before, but um, yeah, as a company, like um, you know, there's myself, but we've got eight great managers within the business, and so we've identified like just selection criteria for each business, and, and there's a little bit of change, like so that we have like more of a Brengus program just north of Cloncurry. You know, we've got the Santa Angus program at Rocklands, you know, so there's a bit of variation. These guys actually go out to producers, similar-minded producers. Or say the seed stock industry, and they 
they find these people, they talk to them, and then they sort of... That's where the stud comes from, like from something that's available that's going to suit that particular business in the north. Perhaps just related to that um, for Ben and, and Macca, and perhaps you too, Sam, when you think about your growing businesses and your growing bull needs, how do you think about and how do you decide, be it yes or no, whether you breed your own bulls? So in our environment, like it's large-scale commercial breeding, growing, fattening, um, and we load a lot of risk into the business anyway, like with finance and finance, etc. So, you know, like I believe, like we're actually doing a program at the moment. So we always get a range of cattle to where we can't actually determine: do you put a Sienna over it or do you put an Angus over it? So we've engaged with a couple of guys. One of them's in the room here. Um, uh, to actually, we're going to buy some semen and then insert it into Angus cows and then um, send the progeny up. So we've got an F1 program to just fit that balance uh, in the middle there where those decisions are going to be um, hard to determine. We've got genomics coming on board. Like, you know, we're utilising that more in the north. So that the parentage and the breed type will also come through at, at you know, weaning for progeny testing. I suppose... What we do do really well uh, as a paraway system is we have individual animal reporters uh, recording across the whole herd. So the 100 and, so 146,000 AEs, which is close to... Uh, Ian probably knows more about my business than me, but... Um, 160, 180,000 head of cattle, like on average, like they're all individually identified and they, they're on a system that we can look at daily. So... That's going to help us make those decisions going forward. And we, we've chosen to breed our own bulls. It's not taken away anything from the stud breeders. It's just the size of our operation. Um, we need to be able to breed some of our own bulls. When we go for bull selection, we usually um, are right up the top there buying some of the, some of the most expensive bulls on the day uh, at, those, at those auctions. Um, and again... Um, what will always be buying some key bulls, but we need to be um, setting up our own our own operation to breed some of our own bulls to integrate into our own system. We won't be selling bulls in our local area. Uh, one thing that we did do, we rang up the local studs where we bought bulls for many years, and we said, look, we need to breed some of our own bulls. Over the last couple of years, we've bought key females females from different auctions and places. Um, we're going to put a lot... My youngest son, Jack, uh, he's involved in the business now and he's um, he's going to take a very... Uh, and his partner a very uh, big interest in producing some uh, bulls. So, um, yeah, I, I actually rang up um, Paul Dooley, if everyone knows anyone knows Paul Dooley, and I just want to let him know too. He makes a lot of money out of us. Uh, and I said to Paul Dooley, I just going to breed some of our own bulls. He said, ah, oh, no one can be a commercial grower and a breed bull, so he's probably right. We'll see if we can prove him wrong. Um, just a question for everybody. Um, you're all running quite progressive organisations. Um, if you had to say one line to sum up what you think the, the near future of the beef industry is like, um, what would you say? That's to all three speakers. I'll start first. I think um, the future's great. I think um, as tough as COVID was, it it put us in a place where we've got now the ability to, to tell the story through QR codes. 
we've been um, we've been using smart labels for a while now, telling the story on our box beef program, and we actually told the story at the sale yards the other day with a QR code where people could come up at the sale yards, scan that code, and get that whole makeup of those steers at that auction, and it and it was widely used. And it was great. So that was probably a bit more than one line. So, but uh, I think we're in a bright future. We have to, I think, adapt to technology. And I think uh, we've got some great tech going on out there uh, to really welcome that technology and, and, and put us at the forefront of beef production. Thank you very much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, look, I'm sure uh, we could go on for quite some time. We are time constrained and we are at the end of our time. Uh, I'd like... I'd like you all to join, join together with me and acknowledge our appreciation of the time and effort that these gentlemen have taken to show us an experience and, and share with us their experiences. Thank you. brings us to the end of today's episode. Once again, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in and joining us for another episode. As a recommendation today, I just wanted to let listeners know that Angus Australia recently hosted the 2021 Spring Ball Night. If you haven't already watched it, I recommend giving it a watch if you are lining up your sire options for your 2021 spring joining period. The event featured presentations from seven organisations listing semen catalogues with Angus Australia and showcased their current AI sire lineup. So if you haven't already given it a watch, do so as it may just assist you in making more informed selection decisions this spring. The Spring Ball Night is available to watch via the Angus Australia YouTube channel and Facebook page. Also, at the time of recording, Australia is obviously in the throes of COVID-related restrictions, so just as a final note from us to everyone listening, that we hope you're staying safe wherever you are. And that's all we have time for today, so thanks again, and we'll catch you on the next one.